Welcome to the Positive Impact Podcast, where we dive into the world of movers, shakers, and changemakers, creating a positive impact on the world. This is your host, Alexandra Black Pollock, and together we're going to tackle real issues, discovering how we can make the world a better place. Well, movers and shakers, you are in for an exciting episode. Today, I have Kate Marie Grinold Sigfison joining me. She is the founder of Babies for Babies, a luxury baby brand changing the face of retail. This company does a one-two punch when it comes to making a social impact because not only does she bake in that social good by relentlessly working to ensure a clean supply chain, something the entire fashion industry can learn from, she also employs a buy one, save four lives models. Kate Marie, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Alex. Wow, your company does a little bit of good. Is that fair to say? I I would hope so, yes. <laughs> well, you've definitely done incredible things to set up some really incredible models. So you're in a retail industry dominated with dirty supply chains and let's be honest, not always the most ethical standards. Why did you decide to enter into a competitive market with a high-end, socially conscious product? Oh gosh, well I think you know any market you enter into when you're creating and, and selling a product is going to have its fair share of competition. I, I think that working in the baby textile market is very exciting and very unique. Um, I, I love working for you know new parents first time parents and then like you said baking in that social good element um, with the delivery of our products to help these parents begin to raise their kids with an ethos around doing good um, but kind of a byproduct of, of jumping into making baby blankets is learning about uh, the textile industry and really how challenging that is because when I started thinking about the model for the business I did not have any experience in textiles or sourcing textiles or manufacturing textiles or, um, you know, anything in, in that arena. So I, I very naively thought, okay, I'm going to do this model. Um, I want it to be in the baby market. And what's a great product to create? Oh, a blanket, a, a fabric square. You know, how hard can that be? You know? Yeah. It's, it's just it's a square, hard. right? <laughs> right. And, and you learn, you know, how, how challenging it is to make something. And it's really given me a profound appreciation for everything I use and I wear uh, because it's not easy to begin with to make things. And it's not easy to do it well and to do it ethically and to do it um, in an environmentally responsible way. So it's definitely been a learning experience for me, but one that I that I love. I'm just obsessed with textiles and it's been um, very, very serendipitous in that sense. That idea of an ethos around good right when you have this newborn baby, that's just such a cool concept. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I love seeing... Um, this millennial generation rise into parenthood because I really feel that we were the first generation that, you know, we were the ones entering the recycling, um, you know, the art recycling contest, or at least I was as a little kid. And, and... <laughs> I uh, I may have done a recycled fashion show at one point. Right, exactly. Photos will not be on the show notes page. I repeat, <laughs> photos will not be on the show notes page. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Um yeah, you know, or, or, or doing science projects around erosion. I mean, we were really taught to, to clean up our mess and to, to 
to think about sustainability from a very young age. We're the first generation that we're told not only that we could change the world for the better, but that we should. And we grew up with this, this fire in our bellies. And so you see so many brands with something like a one-for-one -one model or just, you know, working around social impact. And and that's really, really exciting. So I am doing that in the baby space. And and uh, it, it's, a, it's an exciting time when, when first-time parents bring home a baby and are thinking about how to raise that baby. It's, it's really exciting and, and you know, just a, just a swaddle blanket, but it, it gets them thinking. And, um, and I think that's, that's really important because, you know, we need to raise this next generation to be even more conscientious than, than we were raised to be. It's, it's you know, for the, for the health of our global community and, and the earth. I'm really excited because, as you said, the millennial generation is going into parenthood. Can you even imagine what that next generation that is literally right from birth in a swaddle that is ethically not only made but supports other great causes? Can you imagine what that generation is going to come up with? You know, I, I can't, but I'm just I'm I hope I live to see it. <laughs> Earlier, you touched on a little bit about both your supply chain and environmentally conscious. So we're going to do this a bit backwards. Rather than diving into your current products, I'm just itching to talk about your manufacturing and supply chain. Sure. Well, you know, like I said, it's never easy to, to make something. But if you are not present physically, if you don't have the industry knowledge, it's very easy to enable exploitation and environmental degradation along your supply chain simply by not knowing, not, not intentionally, but if you just place an order for something to be made overseas and that order is filled and then it shows up on your doorstep and then you sell it, you really might not know what went into making those products. And so for me, um, you know, knowing is important. And, and for that reason, I <laughs> you know, took a little longer to develop the supply chain. Um, it's, it co certainly costs a lot more, uh, but I think it's something worth being concerned over. So what, what I do, um, kind of very simplified is I, I source from a very, very ethical textile mill. It has an incredible reputation, very high, um, you know, certifications and standards. And th then I know people who have been there. I cannot afford to go over myself. It is overseas. And where is that specifically? So I source my textile, which is the raw material on a roll out of a facility in Japan. And I know people that have been in the facility and I trust that they have seen a workforce that is not being exploited. They have seen the, the conditions in the facility and that all of these high standards and certification that the facility has are indeed there. Um, because sometimes you see certification stamps, well, if the facility hasn't been audited recently, um, you know, and there are so many various certifications, maybe it's not the highest one or whatnot, you just might not know. So for me, it was very important to know people who had, that I trusted, who had physically been in the facility and recommended the facility. And, and really one great thing for the product that comes out of that is it's so high quality. I mean, my fabric inch per inch is just a, such a superior quality. And, um, you know, and that's one reason it, it sells really well. So it's not only benefiting, um, you know, the ethical side of, of our business, but it really is creating a superior product because I believe when you're that intentional to take care of the environment and employees and 
and whatnot, you're, you're also intentional about creating a really high quality product. So it's definitely win-win. That really does emphasize, especially for socially conscious businesses, the good story and that social impact isn't enough to make a business thrive. You have to have that really high quality product as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and first and foremost, we we strive to to create superior products. We want our product to be beautiful. We want it to be useful. We want it to be memorable. To be, you know, that is long lasting and turns into an heirloom. That's our first focus. And then the impact, because without the you know sustainability of the market, without the resales coming through, because people love the product, we're not going to be able to sustain that impact. So we create a really great product and business, and then that enables us to do more and more and more impact as our sales increase. Ooh, more and more impact as sales increase. Love that. Going back to that company that you worked with in Japan, what were kind of some specific measures and standards that you held against them before deciding to move forward? So it's it's both very simple and, and very hard to find, and that is finding a, a facility that can manufacture ethically. That is that there is no exploitative labor in the workforce. There is no child labor. People are given fair wages. Their working conditions are are good. Um, and then the environmental side, so making sure that the, the the facility isn't just polluting and billowing out smoke and pumping you know debris into the water system. And and then the third thing is quality, making sure that they're that they're creating a really quality uh, product. And um, so that that's pretty much it. My checklist is those three things, and you would be surprised at how hard it is to to find. Uh, it took me a relatively very short amount of time. I thought it was long at the time, but I was told later, no, you were so lucky. Uh, three months to source my textile, but that's three months of full time work to source one textile. Uh, so apparently I was lucky, veterans in the industry tell me, to to work such a short amount of time and, and find such a great product from a great facility. High qualities of employment standards, environmentally, and quality. As you mentioned, those are all super simple concepts, yet it took months to find. Okay, so you get your textiles from Japan. Then where does your product go to? So we bring our textile to the U.S., and from there, everything is made in America. Uh, we work with currently two facilities that are U.S.-based, that are fair wage, and um, one is family-owned, and the other is owned by two uh, female entrepreneurs who employ an almost exclusively female workforce, and we cut and sew our product. And the, uh, after the assembly, it's, it's shipped to Babies for Babies, and, and we sell it from there. So, again, I'm simplifying a little bit. It, there, there is <laughs> I'm a lot sure that's much harder than you're making it sound. Uh, but the point is, is we import our textile uh, in, a, in a sound way, and then we assemble, we manufacture the product here. It's important to me um, not only to oversee the manufacturing to make sure that it's done in a in a really ethical and environmentally sound facility, but uh, for quality purposes, you know, you hear as a as a startup uh, horror stories of people spending all of their money on inventory that's made overseas, and they're, you know, not there to um, discuss the tag placement and the tech pack wasn't clear or something, and all the tags come back on the product backwards and oh, you can't sell it, ouch. you know, very simple things that can, 
ruin a product and ruin a business. So I've been able to set foot in my facilities and um, really be involved in the process and to learn textile manufacturing, which is something I didn't know. So, uh, you know, there there are just so many pros to manufacturing at home and um, it's, it's what we'll continue to do. Ah, love that made in the USA component. That's actually a first for the show, and I'm thrilled that we got there. So now that we've gone through, you've, you're making sure your supply chain is clean. You're manufacturing here in the U.S. Can you tell us about these products that you make? Absolutely. So we're a very niche brand. We ultimately make two different size baby blankets out of the same beautiful double layer cotton muslin fabric and we sell them in five different colors and an assortment of beautifully artistically designed prints so we have a product line of about 26 right now and 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 we'll stay quite small but uh they're very you know just lovely classic baby blankets (laughs) and everyone gets to save for newborn lives so um you know it's just a really great and um and it's a simple but but wonderful gift for especially first-time parents that will be using that blanket with their first baby and if they have a second baby maybe their second baby and um we certainly love being a part of that first you know week and month of a of a family's life as the little family together. <laughs> so for my listeners who are kind of like me and just don't have kids yet, and a little bit this, of this is foreign, you actually use the baby blankets for swaddling the baby, right? That's right. So okay. I should back up. We sell, um, I'm perhaps oversimplified. So we our signature product is the Swaddle Plus blanket. And that's a 40-inch square blanket made of a particular fabric called cotton muslin it's a double layer it's very breathable stretch is built into the weave in one direction so you can wrap the baby up when they're a brand new newborn like a little burrito and <laughs> it stills their their kind of spastic reflexes to to keep them, to simulate the womb effect and to keep them calm and the swaddle really is a lifesaver many times for for new parents because little babies cry and you don't as a new parent you don't know what to do so you swaddle them up you 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 rock them a little bit it soothes them to sleep um so you know who knew a simple cotton square could be so important in the life of a new baby but I can testify um as a mother that it it certainly is so that was our our first product and then we recently launched a mini as my my son and our 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 community had children that grew to be a little bit older and grew out of the swaddle. They were using the swaddles as love you blankets and little kind of catch-all blankets um, for like a little bib or a booger wiper or whatnot. And so we actually, uh, instead of carrying a whole swaddle around, we developed a smaller blanket. It's a quarter of the size, but it's the same fabric, the same prints, the same colors, and we call it the mini. So those are our two products, the swaddle plus and the mini. I actually have a brand new niece, and I know my sister-in-law uh, swaddling was essential for her. And I'm so excited to also see that you have this extended line that you can take this into a little bit older, and they get to, you know, these kids still get to use your products. 
Yeah. So we, so swaddling is done for about the first 10 to 12 weeks of a newborn's life or until they roll over, at which point you stop swaddling and the blanket is then used for just a, a really nice light blanket. It's very breathable and soft and, you know, gets softer as you wash it. And, and then our second product is more for the one to two age group where they're having a lot of little messes and, you know, need boogers wiped or they they just need a little lovey blanket to kind of carry around. It's beautiful with the same fabric and prints and colors. And we've seen lots of little kids dragging them around as, as loveys. So um, those are the two products. My brand new little niece who turned six months recently just turned over for the first time. So it looks like I will be looking at a little lovey for her. <laughs> Oh, that'll be so sweet. Well, we recommend the Rosie Posy Lovey um, or the Fly Fly Birdie Lovey for little girls. They're really beautiful. I'm looking forward to it. These products are so incredible, but it's just not the quality of the product that makes your guys' story so amazing. It's also that you have a buy one, save four lives model. Now that's a pretty bold statement right there. Buy one, save four lives. How how does that even work? So what it means is every blanket you buy, regardless of the size or the color or the print, gives to save four newborn lives. And how we do that is through a wonderful NGO partner we have called Saving Mothers. They're based in New York City. They're made up of female OBGYNs and medical professionals. Um, they're a, a really lean boots on the ground group they work with community partners in the developing world who are who are members of those communities and uh, establishing those communities to to work on maternal and newborn health care needs so what one of the things that they do among among many is to distribute safe birth kits that include about a dozen essential items for a safe and sterile birth and uh, they distribute those through their on-the-ground partners in the developing world to mothers. And um, one of the things in the safe birth kit is, is called chlorhexidine. And what it is is a powerful antiseptic that is applied in a specific way through a swab, a sterile swab, onto the umb- baby's umbilical cord. And then the umbilical cord is cut with a sterile instrument also included in that safe birth kit. And and it reduces their chance of dying from infection dramatically. Um, we take for granted sterile birth. You know, our, we're not, if you're born in a hospital in the, unit, in the U.S., we're not rubbing newborn umbilical cords with these chlorhexidine swabs because it's a sterile environment and infection is not being introduced at the level it is when a newborn is born on, on a dirt floor um, with maybe, you know, dirty blankets or, or whatnot, um, we really take for granted what what we have here in terms of birth because things like soap and hand sanitizer and gloves and cord clamps and a chlora swab and a sterile razor are literally lifesavers in the developing world. So once that newborn's cord is cut sterilely, um, there are some estimates that conservatively say there's an opportunity to save around half a million newborn lives every year. So I could go on and on about this forever, (laughs) but I should say that, you know, I'm not a medical professional and Babies for Babies is not doing this work directly. We are partnered with this fabulous agency, Saving Mothers, and it is just such a privilege and an honor to be able to support their work through our customers' purchases. So I would encourage people to learn more about Saving Mothers and more about 
what you can do personally to support newborn and maternal health care in the developing world. I think you're a little passionate about this issue. (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, a little bit. Um, I just, I see these, these simple high impact interventions and there's no way not to support it. So I'm always encouraging, you know, other people with baby brands who I meet through the, the industry to also partner with saving mothers, or sometimes we do gives instead of sales where every one product will give an entire $10 safe birth kit. Um, and those are wildly popular. It's very empowering for, for customers to be able to, to give more. And so I'm obviously, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely <laughs> passionate about safe birth and empowering mothers. So um, I'm, you know, just lucky to be partnered with such a fabulous nonprofit agency. Well, let's break down some of the things that you mentioned there. Most particularly, you stated you are not a doctor, but yet your company is literally saving the lives of thousands each year. And that was through your partnership. How did you go about creating this partnership? The partnership took a long time to establish. I, I want to say almost a year. Oh, wow. Um, and that includes a year of building the company pre-launch um, because I believe we officially established the partnership with, with Saving Mothers in October of our first year. That would be October 2014. And the reason it took so long was we because we wanted to find the right partner. And of course, there are many fabulous agencies out there doing incredible work. Um, but as a startup, we needed a partner who saw the upside to, to entertaining a partnership with us, you know, making when you, when you haven't made any sales and you're, you're pre-launch and you're going around to big agencies trying to write a contract for partnership, they're like, yeah, but we just want you to, to give us $10,000. like, well, it's going to be based on sales and we're going to be buying these products for you. It's a and and that's good. You know, it's right? going to come, but you kind of have to take a step of faith with me, right? I can see right. that being a little challenging. And- <laughs> Yeah, and and so um, we really just wanted to make sure it was a fit for everybody. And for that reason, um, we partnered with Saving Mothers because they are excited about this startup that is, you know, slowly giving more and more chlorhexidine swabs to them for their safe birth kits. And, and they do see the upside and the value in what we're doing to build this company. What's really fascinating is it would have been so easy for you to do your very standard one-for-one model. You make baby swaddles. You are working to help mothers and babies all over the world. I mean, why didn't you go the one swaddle for one swaddle model? So there are instances in which the one-for-one model can be really great. You know, something that comes to mind is, you know, one-for-one water. If you buy, you know, certain brands of water for the bottle of water you buy, they will clean one liter of water in X developing country. Um, Water is incredibly important to all of our survival. And I see that as an incredible model, but there are other ways of doing a one-for-one model that are not as impactful. Um, Although maybe nice, they just don't have that like high impact that, that I'm looking for with babies for babies. So as far as um, exchanging, you know, one for one in blankets. The bl- blankets for newborns are are definitely necessary. That's actually oftentimes one of the items included in a safe birth kit. But um, 
it's not as life-saving as chlorhexidine swabs. It's not preventing half a million newborn deaths a year. Uh, it's not keeping babies uh, who are 10 days old from dying a terrible death from sepsis. And so when I was developing this model and trying to find the high impact initiative that I would pair the sale of our product with, I went to child survival specialists and I said, what is the thing that's going to empower mothers and keep the most newborns alive in the first days and weeks and months? And across the board, these child survival specialists and global public health experts said, chlorhexidine. Uh, so that's the direction we went because that's where the experts were telling us we could do the most impact. That really drives home the impact that you were so dedicated to make is you didn't take the easy way out and say, just one for one, it's good. You really dove in and said, what is the highest impact that I can make? So when my customers buy the rosy posy swaddle, you, they really know that this is going to further the impact across the world in the most life-saving way. That is inspiring. Yeah, and it's I see more and more brands developing models like this that are that are very thoughtful and addressing impact from you know kind of the hardest place, and and so we're just really happy to to be a part of that. And like I said, we couldn't do it without the execution and um, skills of our NGO partner. But that's actually something that all social entrepreneurs can take note of, is that you're not a medical professional, but yet your company is saving thousands of babies' lives because you took the time to do the research and because you took the time to create the partnership. Yeah, and one thing I would recommend for entrepreneurs entrepreneurs starting out or already going that are that are entertaining these social impact models is to just get out and talk to the experts you know I who am I to to go to these incredible child survival specialists and doctors um, you know I don't know anything about really beyond what I read about their work but knocking on the door telling them what you're you're hoping to do um, really giving them the benefit of the doubt and and they're going to come back to you and, and help you because they want to help you help them and and enable their work so I would I would just say be brave go out ask for help um, go to the people that know the most and you'd be surprised well, Kate Marie, I read in one of your interviews that if there was one word that described you, it would be tenacious. And I have to admit, <laughs> connecting with you today, I think that is so true because not only did you bake in social good in your company, not only are you working for a buy one, save four model, but you went the extra mile in every step of your business and you were incredibly tenacious. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm blushing, but I think the other, the downside of, of tenacious can be called stubborn perhaps. So thank you for, for painting it in that, that positive light. I'm just excited to be doing what I'm doing and, and I'm always looking to improve. I think that all of us can always look to improve. I don't think having a whole bunch of stubborn social entrepreneurs who are just not going to settle for less than amazing is a bad thing. Am I, am I the only one? <laughs> oh, well, with that, you have just blown me away. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Oh yeah, let's do it. Let's switch to those. 
The rapid fire is one of my all-time favorite parts of the show, and I think it's just because of those adventures we get to talk about, like shark diving. How many guests have we had that have gone shark diving? Absolutely incredible. But before we dive into that, I wanted to share a quick insight from this incredible event called Journey to Social Entrepreneurship, which was all about focusing in and channeling the power of service to fuel powerful social enterprises. So that insight was all about asking permission. Sometimes we wait too long to act, almost waiting for the world to give us the okay. K-Techa founder describes a pivotal moment in his journey where he could either move forward or ask permission. If you're at a point in your life where you're ready to activate and you're ready to move forward, then this event is for you. Unlock all 20 recordings at journeytosocialentrepreneurship.com slash live. That includes some incredible founders like Three Twins Ice Cream, Cooley Cooley, Sponsor Change, My Ed Match, and more. And with that, I think we're ready for a dose of adventure. Life is a balance of work, passion, and adventure. Can you tell us about a recent adventure or excursion you've gone on? Well, actually, I am in uh, Southern California for the next few months working on developing some new manufacturing um, relationships out here. And I would say it's quite an adventure. My husband, my 20-month-old, and myself, and I'm, I'm actually pregnant with our second baby. Congratulations. Out here temporarily. Thank you. <laughs> we kind of picked up in Chicago where we're from and, and moved out here and our, my husband's working remotely and I'm developing these new relationships with manufacturing facilities. And uh, it's, it's something different for sure. A lot of people think we're crazy to just pick up and, and go for a few months with the kid, but uh, adventure is what life's about and we're going to be renting an apartment somewhere. So why not do it uh, in Southern California during the winter in Chicago so I can do my work and have boots on the ground in these facilities to vet them for their ethics and sustainability. It's It's been awesome. Well, being in Southern California myself, I can say that it is a lot warmer than a Chicago winter. Indeed it is. And also with a second child on the way, I hear these baby for baby swaddles are really durable and can be an heirloom item. So I think you're going to be okay and all set for that baby number two. (laughs) We have more swaddles in my son's (laughs) closet than we know what to do with. So now you have one for every single day of that 10 week period, right? Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's an upside. Many social entrepreneurs find solace and tranquility in the outdoors. Have you found this to be beneficial in your life and in your work? Absolutely. Um, you know, we get outdoors as much as we possibly can. I, I see how my young son thrives just running around a park and picking up leaves. And and so it, it, not only for him, but for us, it's important to go on hikes and just, and just to be outdoors and to be active. So one thing I do that's not necessarily outdoors is every morning morning, I carve out an hour for myself to work out, to get moving. And that's, that's almost non-negotiable of that hour. <laughs> um, although I did negotiate it this morning to, to, uh, record this podcast, but, uh, it's just important to take a moment and invest in yourself. And, and like you said, get out, get outside. It is so important to take that time for you to be healthy. Thank you for negotiating your workout this morning. I have to Happy admit, to do it. I did the same. 
Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Although I'm hoping to hit it this evening, um, you know, without a a one-year-old, I, I have a little bit more flexibility in my schedule. <laughs> what book do you recommend to other socially minded individuals who want to make an impact? You know, there are so many, but one that comes to mind is Behind the Beautiful Forever's Life, Death, and Hope in a Mumbai Undercity by Catherine Boo. Um, this book isn't about a, you know, one-for-one model or a, a, a brand developing um, in the startup scene. It's it's about what the title says, Life, Death, and Hope in a Mumbai Undercity. And, and Catherine Boo, I believe she's a, a sociocultural anthropologist, goes in and, and uh, gets to know the, the folks in this slum and, and kind of intimately portrays their life. And it gives you a really um, incredible and tragic and beautiful view into life in, in most parts of the world or in, in many parts at least. And I, I think that as a social entrepreneur to really try to, especially coming out of a place like the U.S. where we are so fortunate, we don't even know what we have. It's really important to try to open our eyes to what most of the world lives like and, and the challenges they're facing every day. So that's a good one I recommend. That is a beautiful recommendation. Open your eyes to see how the rest of the world is and just really become more culturally aware. Whew, you're just raising the bar everywhere today. What role has mentorship played in your success? A mentorship is incredibly important. It is sometimes really hard to find. Um, you know, I, I had a mentor I worked with, including my one year pre-launch and then about one year into the business. And and that just was happenstance. It was somebody who gave me, um, you know, an entrepreneur, more successful entrepreneur than I, who was a friend who kind of gave me the initial push to start the company and said, you have this idea, do it. What's stopping you? And really just gave me like a kick in the rear to go and then kept checking in with me. It wasn't a formal thing, but we get together, we go over, you know, margins, we talk about the impact model, he really, you know, just, just pushed me and um, kind of kept me honest. And, and um, that was incredibly, incredibly impactful. And then, you know, that mentorship kind of, it ran its course, it now we're back to, to being friends. And um, I'm, I'm always open to learning from individuals. I think mentorship can take um, the form of like a one day meeting, you know, you can really let somebody you can open yourself up and let somebody's knowledge in a particular area impact you over like the course of a meeting. Or, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll find another long term mentor. I, I, I don't think it's something you can push. Um, I, I haven't had any mentors that are like assigned to me through a program per se that, that have been super impactful. I think it just happens organically. And, and in order to allow that to happen, you have to, like I said, be open to, to hearing criticism and, and critique and, um, ideas from others. So I would just, if I could give a piece of advice would be to, to remain open and, and, um, let the, uh, the, the, the words of others kind of help you shape your idea and trajectory. And let's be honest, criticism is always a hard one to take. Criticism is hard to take, um, but it is so important. So we don't live in our, our little, you know, idyllic and completely out of touch bubbles. <laughs> oh, that is the best way to describe our bubbles. <laughs> What is one tip that our listener can apply today to make a positive impact in the world? You know, I always tell people just 
just consider your your purchasing power if you practice conscious consumerism and and you need not be be perfect but consider what you're buying you know how you're spending your dollars and what does that mean and you know, not, not to feel guilty about it, but really to rather to feel empowered. There are so many products and brand alternatives out there um, that are just a little better in that they, they do protect their supply chains or they do um, link the purchase of a product to a, a social impact in some part of the world. So just be mindful of that and, and consider how really through your purchases – you can do incredible good. So what I mean by that is incrementally, you know, if you're buying um, soap and it provides a sanitation initiative, if you're buying water and it, it sterilizes water, if you're buying a blanket and it gives, you know, a newborn a, a chance at a safe birth, these little incremental actions through your purchases can add up to tremendous results. And so to, you should feel empowered by that. And um, all you have to do is just start paying attention when you're at the checkout counter at the store. The power of your purchase, something we can all be so mindful of. Our last question today, is there a mantra or motto that guides forward your work with Babies for Babies? Do well, but first do good. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is do well, um, you know, prosper, provide for your family, um, your community, but first do good, you know, look, look at what you as an individual, whoever you are, whatever your resources or capabilities, there's always something you can do to positively impact the life of another. So first look and find what that thing is. Well, we are definitely all about positive impact here. Kate Marie, thank you so much. This has been an incredible episode. How do people learn more about Babies for Babies? So you can find Babies for Babies online at www.babiesforbabies.com. And that's with the number four. You can also find us on uh, social media channels. I invite you to join our communities there. All of our handles are babies for babies with the number four. And our favorite is, is Instagram, where I share my personal startup mom story. And that's my journey into new motherhood and my journey in entrepreneurship on a daily basis. So we have a lot of fun and it's very candid. And, and it, like I said, it has developed into quite a community. So you can find us there. And if you have any questions, you can always email into our hello line, hello at babiesforbabies.com. Kate Marie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Alex. It's been such a fun time chatting with you. Well, movers and shakers, I hope you guys enjoyed that really in-depth look into how one baby clothing company is helping save lives around the world, as well as building in ethical practices straight into their business model. What's really exciting is this week is Mother's Day. So if you know any first-time mothers or mothers with newborns who are going to be celebrating this Sunday, what better gift than a rosy posy baby swaddle? It also sounds like they might be needing that in the first couple of weeks. Join us back on Friday as we connect with the co-founder of Saving Mothers to really dig into how of these birthing kits do empower mothers and protect newborns in developing countries around the world. Until next time, keep doing your part to make the world a better place.